Hello, and welcome to Dodecahedron, a podcast by, for, and about roleplayers. I'm Jess Venters. And I'm Colin Lamothe. Every week we get together to talk about a range of gaming-related topics, from creating a character, running a game, and what it all means for people who share a favorite hobby. We may not be experts, but we do have pleasant voices and a wealth of gaming experience that we are eager to share with you. Our topic today is using mythology in games. But before we get into it, Colin. Yes, sir. Last episode, I was tasked with learning more about the system Swords Without Master. Ah, yes. And telling you a little bit about this particularly interesting game. I have done so. Ah, you have. Well then. I I mean to to an extent, I am theoretically going to actually get to play it tonight, kind of like my own little playtest. Uh, but what I did in anticipation is I spent the get this $3.99 on the game book or at least a PDF of it. Hmm, that's a uh, yeah. pretty fair price. It's fantastic. Uh, you can actually get it yourself if you're listening. Uh, it is volume one, issue three of the magazine or online publication, whatever it actually is called, Worlds Without Master, written by Epidiah Ravichal and several other folks. But Epidiah is the one who created Dread and basically wrote this game. Mm. And I'm gonna so, tell you just a little bit about it. Yeah, please do. By all means, launch in. <clears throat> so, what I have learned that I got wrong last time uh, is the storyteller, as they are, you know, functionally, is referred to as the overplayer, and everyone else plays a rogue. And this is rogue not in the Dungeons and Dragons, like, you are a thief sense. This is rogue in the swords and sorcery, like, Conan the Barbarian. Everyone is, um, a person untethered from society. Mm. Uh, and the way that the players create their rogues is particularly interesting to me, because essentially you take a thing that stands out to you, and this can be, like a character that you like in something, or it can be a painting that speaks to a moment in your character's life. It can literally be anything, like a miniature or a particularly fancy knife that you like. Hmm. All right. And, like, that is the basis for your character. It's referred to as your idolon or your simulacra. Ah. Uh, and then you name them, and then you give them stuff to care about and that's like the entire character creation in this game very the footloose other... and fancy free oh god yeah like it, it's so open-ended which does make it difficult if you prefer more of a simulationist aspect because this is not that game this is like almost pure narration because the dice rolls that come in as i mentioned last time you only have the two different dice one is your glum dice, and the other is the jovial. You roll both of them when it's your turn to roll, and depending on which one is higher, that sets the tone. But basically everything else is just, like, you sit around a table 
with the people you're playing with and you tell a story together. It is fascinating and I can't wait to play it. Hmm. So what is the function of the overplayer? So the overplayer is there essentially to set the story uh, because there are like different phases in which the game happens. There is the discovery phase uh, in which the world is like experienced and seen and seen and explored. There is the rogues phase, which has the players kind of just doing their thing. And then there's the perilous phase. And this is directly from the game book, wherein the rogues' lives are in danger. So, mm. like, as the overplayer, you're the one who determines which phase you're in and what's happening in the different phases. So, like, you set up the story and essentially pass the dice to whoever has to do a thing. And the dice roll will determine the tone, not the consequence of what they do. So say I am the overplayer and I have just described your character stepping into the drug den where the man who is responsible for the death of your son is making his wares and making his money. And then I hand the dice to you. I have handed the narration to you and all the dice say is like, how is this going to go down? Is this going to be a glum moment full of, like, the darkness that comes inherently with revenge? Or is it going to be a jovial moment where you step forward and you triumph and you take what is rightfully yours? Like, it's so narration-focused. I <clears throat> That sounds like a pretty interesting game to play with a group that you know fairly well. I would be terrified to play this with people that I was not intimately familiar with the storytelling capabilities of hmm well you'll have to report back on how your session went i shall indeed but before then let's talk about mythology let's indeed when's the last time that you used conventional mythology uh and by conventional mythology i uh mean any actually pre-set mythology as an actual mythology in our world rather than stuff that you made up your own mythology uh, definitely i only use stuff like that when i'm running real world style games i don't like the idea of transplanting like an actual pantheon to a different world because it just feels kind of awkward to me but sure i do have a tendency to use various parts of different myths in world of darkness games when i run those um, most notably, uh, when I was running the game that I was streaming, I guess this was a couple of years ago now, one of the first major antagonists that I put my players against was actually a monster from Japanese folklore called the Baku, or uh, Dream Eater. Mm. And I tried to keep it as realistic to the depictions that i could find in japanese folklore and myth while still making it a viable game antagonist because this is one thing that always gets a little bit tricky how do you mesh myth with mechanics very true how about you 
Well, as you well know, um, I utilized Greek mythology, or rather, Greek uh, some Greek mythology, some Egyptian mythology, and um, <clears throat> some other mythologies together in our long-running multi-sessions canon world games. Uh, for our listeners in college, uh, I just decided to kind of hook all of my World of Darkness games together within the same world, just different stories that are happening that kind of influence each other so that the players have a chance to kind of build this world. Um, <clears throat> and in the course of, I'd say, the flagship game of that of that particular world, which was called just called West Campaign. Uh, the West. Yes, it just happened in the West. Um I utilized Promethean, and for those that don't know, Promethean is a new world of darkness system in which you are created beings a la Frankenstein's monster, a la the golem, or... <clears throat> Pygmalion. Yeah, or Pygmalion, or an Osiren, or uh, an Ulgan. Different mythologies of created beings, and you are on this quest to find your humanity, uh, to build your humanity. And to Although I, I, I just have to interrupt real quick because I did get the game term wrong. It's a Galatean, which comes from the play Pygmalion. Don't at me. Yeah, that's that is that is true. But for our listeners that might be more familiar with Pygmalion than Galatea. Yes. Anyways, <clears throat> I took mythology and essentially by tying it into the New World of Darkness Atlantean myth, uh, I posited that some of the ancient gods and pantheons were created beings made by these different mages back during the Atlantean times um, that all took kind of a different approach to the creation idea and sp spun out a lot of these different uh, pantheons based on that. And so they had some brushes with Norse mythology, with Greek mythology, with Hindu mythology, with Egyptian mythology, uh, and kind of the different divine attributes that I could ascribe from the stories of that mythology and translate into game terms. Which I think worked pretty well. One thing that always gets a little bit tricky when you're dealing with actual like real world mythology and you're putting that spin on it of like, but what if it was actually this thing? Right. Uh, it comes in like, there is the occasional issue, which we didn't really run into in our game, but which I know I have dealt with in other games that I've run when dealing with other cultures' mythologies. Uh, you will inevitably, if you're running multiple games using myth and folklore, have a player or just somebody else at the table, if you're not running the game yourself, who knows more about the source material than you do. Ah, uh, yes, of course. And if everybody is chill and everybody's on the same side, then that's usually not going to be an issue because most people and like, honestly, one of the things that I've run into this the most on is like preset Pathfinder worlds or Dungeons and Dragons worlds where it's like somebody has read every single source book and I've read the Wikipedia entry. Right. And so then I'm like yeah, I, there's this thing. And then somebody pipes up and says, uh, actually, 
that doesn't exist in this world and you're wrong and should change it now. And I'm like, I already factored it into my story. Come on, dude. Just relax. Go with it. Most of the time people are chill about that. But when you're dealing with something like folklore or myth where there are occasionally real world ramifications to the interpretations of some of these things, how would you... Colin Lamoth, deal with mm. somebody stepping up to your table and being like, mm, actually, it's a, it's a peregrine falcon chewing on Prometheus's liver, not an eagle, like you said, and you should change that in your story. Hmm. Well, I haven't had that situation exactly before, but I can tell you how I'd respond. Uh, I'd say, all right, well, fair enough. Could you show me you know, cite your sources on where this mythology is. I'm happy to expand my own knowledge and to make some edits to scenes as necessary. If it is one of those things that's already happened and the, you know, the scene's already set and we'd have to kind of roll back the clock in order to make the story work, it might be. Well, there are interpretations to different mythologies and different, uh, and different folklores and legends this is just one of those interpretations. Not to say that anything is right or wrong. The nature of belief can be mercurial sometimes. Mm -hmm. That's usually I how it, I handle it. I think it also helps when you are dealing with these um, these myths or these systems or these pantheons that are essentially, for all intents and purposes, purely academic yeah. at this point. Uh, so if you're got, if you've got something where it's like, you are arguing about Greek myth and somebody has a different interpretation of you, whether or not that comes from a place of actual academic understanding or not. That's one thing. And I feel like the way that you would handle that works. Mm -hmm. Like there is a definite question of, all right, how much does it matter? Uh, sure, sure where I think that would get a little bit trickier, and part of the reason I wanted to talk about this topic is when you are dealing with living beliefs. Like active living religions. Yes. Sure. And not necessarily active religions, because obviously if you're dealing with something like Hinduism, that is a religion that has a massive pantheon of gods that it's very tempting to pull from. And we see things do it all the time. Like, Final Fantasy. Every Final Fantasy game has Shiva in it. And Shiva is usually a weird ice monster. Like, that's not really in line with the actual belief, but sure. Go with it. But when you go into something like uh, numerology, demonology, Kabbalah, like, these things that a lot of people in the world actually believe, but which we use in fiction in a multitude of ways. Things like what are angels like? I know this is something that you have touched on in numerous ways in your campaigns, and I want you to expound a little bit about like when you're dealing with beliefs and systems like that, what do you do? Well, <clears throat> I think it's important first to establish around the around the table whether the other players are comfortable with that interpretation or not. If you're bringing in a religion, an actual real world religion into your fiction that someone at the table holds, you have to ask permission from them in order to kind of fictionalize 
their their religion. Some people are fine with it. They're comfortable enough uh, or they're just cool enough in, or they just feel comfortable in general with separating fact from fiction. Other people feel that their religion should be sacred and respected and not taken in a, in a fictional light, either of which are fine answers. Now, I've had the privilege of players that have had strong religious beliefs but still allowed me to make my own interpretation uh, I was raised Roman Catholic, so I have a, a lot of background in Catholicism, uh, and I tend to do a lot of takes on the Catholicism kind of basis of religion, the interpretation of angels, demons, pantheons, uh, the pantheons thereof, and, and whatnot, that I usually support by doing my actual groundwork research on the religion itself, you know, the stuff they didn't teach me in Catholic school. Um, well, I mean, I don't know very many Catholic schools that are going to teach you a lot about the uh, the hierarchy of angels. Yeah, they really won't. You're not supposed to. You're not supposed to talk about that. You're not supposed to it's, be interested in that. That's that's a, it's a cult one problem. One of those things that's not really like accepted. Well, so little bit of an aside. I went to. Uh, twice I've been to a presentation by our archdiocese exorcist. Uh, because why not? That sounds friggin' cool. Um, where he kind of went into some of these, some of these issues in terms of how the Catholic faith views them. And although there is a hierarchy of angels, it's not something that people are. It's not something that the church is really interested in expounding upon or having an ordinary layperson focus on, because it's a little bit of like idolatry in a certain sense. It's focusing on the wrong aspects. And that kind of occultism can lead to problems. So it, it's something that is known about, but is generally only specifically known by certain authorities in the Catholic faith. And he didn't talk very much more about the hierarchy of angels. So fortunately, I'll either have to go to kind of the other faiths that believe in a hierarchy of angels, any number of the other Christian faiths that might follow along that line, or make it up myself. I do a little yeah. bit of both. Well, and also like there is a lot of information that you can find from all sorts of different Judeo-Christian sources. Very true. That are wildly conflicting. Yes, absolutely. As long as uh, the longer a religion remains kind of in existence, the more interpretations can be found within certain sa uh, sacred scriptures. And those ideas can have interpretations to themselves and they grow and they grow. And then you have just kind of mixed mythology that comes in, some of which is accepted by the main body and other which is considered uh, heretical or even discarded entirely. But either way, it's fascinating to read about the way that cultural beliefs take shape and how stories evolve over time with groups of people. And utilizing these commonalities in myths, uh, especially around deific figures, you can create quite an interesting interplay in narrative that is both uh, refreshingly new and also uh, familiar to an audience. Well, I think uh, one of the very famous examples of a story that does it well and i will admit right now to not having read these but i'm familiar with them through my brother is the percy jackson book series oh i have not read it either i i know numerous people who have and who love it and i actually know a couple of people who have utilized it in terms of like 
taking some of the ideas from that and turning it into campaigns and role-playing games. And the basics, from what I understand, is you are following essentially a demigod as you, like, as Percy explores all of these different myths and puzzles and, like, Greek mythology-themed problems. Right. And I think one of the things that it does very well, from my understanding, is bringing in that flavor of mythology for creating the situations, but not focusing so much on, like, gods themselves as characters. Very true. It's, it's, it's a lot of uh, sort of, like, next generation sort of feelings. Mm-hmm which for players would be a lot more engaging than say you are just an insignificant speck going up against this deific power or simply serving them. Uh, There's something there that I want to get into more a little bit later, but we'll keep going down this path for now. Okay. Um, I think it can be, and and this is where, I mean, like I understand that, having a more um, creative interpretation on what you would say the domains of gods and kind of a permutation of those storylines, i.e. with these demigods, can be a very engaging, in fact, like a ground-establishing creative direction for a game. But I, I I don't necessarily believe that interpreting mythology within the confines of its story can necessarily be limiting depending on how it is presented. Tell me more about that. Well, it depends on which mythology you're absolutely taking from, but in uh, a number of different mythologies, there is uh, precedent, especially in some of the olds, the non currently living religions, the precedent of man coming up against gods and vying against them. And sometimes winning and sometimes losing or being punished for their hubris. And there is something to be said for the gods being too human in some of these mythologies, as in they seem to embody the most extreme versions of certain personalities and human nature. They almost become caricatures. And those caricatures uh, can be utilized to great effect in terms of the story. That's a sort of where I'm coming from. I I think I get where you're coming from. And we see that a lot, especially in Greek and Norse myth. Sure. Mostly just because of how the stories about those beings have been passed down. Like with Greek, especially, we have a lot of theater about, you know, heroes like Hercules or Oedipus or just these sometimes heroic and sometimes tragic figures who bash their head against the problem of the gods. Whereas with Norse mythology, there are fewer Eddas that I am familiar with that actually feature plain, ordinary humans interacting with the gods, especially the Aesir, uh, which is like the Thor, Odin, Loki type. Not Loki, but that's a different story. Uh, We don't want to get too far into the specific myths here. Um, what on earth was I just saying? Right, you don't have a whole lot of normal human heroes 
like confronting them, but you do have this idea of fighting alongside with like Valhalla and Ragnarok and all of that. Sure, sure. <clears throat> so you were touching on something a little bit earlier that you said you didn't want to get into right then and there. Can I tease on that thread a little bit? Yes, absolutely. Uh, so I have next to me the Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition Player's Handbook, and I have marked a page in it uh, that is a big part of the reason why I wanted to talk about this in the first place. Because there's a whole section in here on fantasy historical pantheons. And in particular, they pull out four real-world historical pantheons that they have somewhat adapted for use as gods in Dungeons and & Dragons. And for anyone who's not very familiar, which I know from, you know, personal people, is a few of them out there. The function of a deity in Dungeons & Dragons is 99 times out of 100 to be the person or the thing in the sky that your cleric prays to who gives them powers. They are flavor. Essentially, like, they're your battery or your ammo pack, depending on what you're doing, but they specifically in the book bring in Celtic, Greek, Egyptian, and Norse deities, and they've got them all, like, listed out for use in games. Like, they have given the gods in these different cultures alignments and domains and holy symbols. And I think the way that they handle it is actually pretty classy, because they make a, they make a very solid point early on to say, like, the way that we're handling this is just suggestions. You can use these. We are no in no way saying that these are canonical, but these are good ones to pull from. And I think with what we've talked about already, neither of us would disagree that those four, if you do your research and you actually know what you're talking about, do make for very interesting pieces in fiction. Sure. I mean, it's like you were talking about with the Atlantean setting, you brought in especially Greek and Egyptian mythology to really flesh that out. And with Greek, it makes perfect sense because the Atlantis myth comes... Is it Aristotle or Plato? Ooh, good question. One that I cannot tell you because I have forgotten. You can at me on that, Twitter people. Who wrote the original Atlantis myth? Anyway... I feel like with those two in particular, you're not going to run into a lot of people who are actually followers of you know, Greek cults of Athena or like believe in Ra, the sun god. I think most of those faiths faded into the history of humanity. But we still have enough stories about them to make them very interesting and to give your players something to hold on to that feels more familiar than, say, Pelor the Sun God. Because this is one thing about, like, D&D pantheons that always kind of bothered me. You are expecting players to come in and have religions. Like, 
you're dealing with systems where the actual gods have been known to walk around and give people superpowers. And yet you are expecting players who might not know a single thing about them to roleplay as people who ostensibly worship one or more of them. And this is a topic that I think that we should actually almost devote an entire podcast to, which is setting yourself within a fictional world for first-time players. I think that would be a good topic on its own. I'm going to make a note of that while you talk more. Sure. So when creating, there's a difference between utilizing a pre-existing mythology and creating your own. When you take your pre-existing mythology, you can decide how true to form you want to take it. Um, Sometimes people just want to keep the names. We have numerous examples all throughout literature and media where the ancient mythologies have been, um, excuse me. Um, thank you so much. Where the traditional mythologies have been reinterpreted again and again into many, many different forms. And there's nothing to say that you can't do that. If you find a way to add that kind of flavor in that oomph, that punch of familiarity that people, you know, generally have around some of the more pre-established mythologies, Feel free to do so. Be respectful, of course, but also be open to interpreting it. That's a big thing about mythology is that it is interpretive. You can take a story and take kind of a fresh outlook on it and apply it. Maybe you want to follow. Maybe you want to follow uh, in in the footsteps of Ulysses uh, in the Odyssey. You want to bring an Odyssey-like scenario to your players, to the game table, in which case you say, all right, what are the beats of this story and how can I bring these in thematically to appropriately show this story unfolding, but in a new, fresh, and different way? Or you can create your own mythology. Creating your own mythology, whole cloth, is a difficult task. A lot of people love doing it. World building is uh, world building gives lifeblood to it. It's it's a lot of fun to build your own pantheon. And of course, as Jess has written down, we'll get into setting yourself or setting your players within a myth uh, within a mythical world that you have created that they have no familiarity of, but which their players would or their characters would have familiarity with. But when you create your own mythology, you have to instead of just thinking. These are how these mythical beings would have interacted. Think about the stories that people within your world would tell about these mythical beings. Everything kind of begins with the way that humans, mortals, the mortal race in your setting, interprets the actions of these divine beings. It's not like the divine beings are putting down autobiographies about what's happening with them. They are, their messages are being interpreted interpreted by their followers. Their disasters are being interpreted by their followers. Their messages, everything is being interpreted through a lens of mortal behavior and culture. And that is a a value piece that a lot of people sometimes miss, but can be a clincher in terms of real immersive power when you are creating it. Absolutely. I mean, like what you just said about people misinterpret or miss it. I think that really resonates a lot with me because what you tend to get when you're in a setting where the gods are indisputably real Mm -hmm. like people have divine powers and you know this is 
obviously up for interpretation depending on your setting or your system and the way that religion will work in general. But specifically looking at something like Dungeons and Dragons, where you can't deny there are gods, you are still dealing with mortal followings of those gods. So, like, if you bring in Thor, and Thor is the heavy-drinking, hard-hitting, jovial superhero from the Marvel Universe, how is that going to be interpreted by people who are actually living, like, on a farm far away from the halls of Valhalla? You gotta keep in mind, I think, that the term God is ascribed to a, an, a, a being with immense power and in many ways an interest in the affairs of mortals. <clears throat> you might not be able to deny that there are clerics walking around with divine power, but it is very possible for a character to say, well, these are just beings that are beyond a normal classification, but I wouldn't ascribe them a religious significance. You can take that storyline, a storyline of exploring the nature of what divinity is and what it means and what kind of beings the gods are and quantify them, or you can leave them shrouded in mythology, much like the kind of adage of horror movie monsters, the less you see of them, the scarier they are. The less you see of the gods, the less they interact with you directly, the more mysterious and inscrutable their message is, and the harder it is to quantify them. The more you bring down manifestations of them, them talking to the player characters, the more you have to start defining their nature within the interpretation that the players are seeing, the more you have to nail down facts about them. So be careful when you decide to use that. Using a using an actual deus ex machina, using an actual god to intervene within the story can be powerful stuff. However, it does take away some of that mysterious element about what they are and how the worship works. This is very true. I had something to say and I completely lost it because I got very wrapped up in that idea and i found it again ah good all right i am personally and this is just me i am personally opposed to ever having your players get into a knockdown drag out brawl with anything that can be considered a god however i very much like the idea of false gods so, like, if your players are running through a Norse-themed campaign and they get up to a sufficiently epic level and you want to finally reveal that, you know, Odin wasn't Odin the whole time and it's been Loki disguised. I really loved Thor Ragnarok. It's such a good freaking movie. I can tell. I can tell. Uh, I feel like Certain gods in certain pantheons are low enough on the ladder that if you want your players to punch a god, you can make that happen. However, this gets back into the idea of you need to make sure that you're handling it in the right way. And sure. In this exact moment, this is less about, like, obviously, like, 
punching out Ganesh is a bad idea. Like, there are people who actually worship real gods. You, I mean, you wouldn't have your players punch out Jesus unless everybody's very irreverent about it. I might have my players punch out Jesus, but there would be a very distinctly different Jesusiness about that Jesus. As as we said earlier, it's important to kind of gauge the feeling at the at the table and how your Absolutely. players feel about the elements that you bring in. It's important Absolutely. not to offend your players um, because that would drive them away from the table. And what do you what do you have if you don't got players? You just got you. Yeah. Uh, but what I was really getting to with that is less like, oh, think about the sociopolitical statement that you're making by having somebody fight a god and more about like, once you do that, the stakes will never get higher. If you are going up against a deity, if you want to continue that campaign ever with those characters you have to introduce something that is either a more immediate but admittedly smaller threat or something that is a much greater threat than a god. And that's hard to do. I mean, Supernatural tried. Yeah, and what's the general consensus critically and from fans of Supernatural after Season 5? For those of you who don't know, Supernatural Season 5 basically ends with them, like, what, beating the devil, basically? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty much it, with them uh, throwing the devil into... And let's, you know, some people really swear by where Supernatural has gone in later seasons. I don't, but that's for a numerous amount of other reasons that we are not on the right podcast to talk about right now. Why do I feel like you and I could just do an entire separate spin-off podcast of, like, every episode of Supernatural, let's talk about it? I would be absolutely down to have a podcast talking about the critical elements of storytelling and narrative and TV shows, but in the interest of keeping things on task. Jess, do you have any other final thoughts uh, about mythology and its usage in campaigns? I have one. Go. I think it's very important when you are bringing mythology into a game to keep in mind the impact that it should have on your players' lives. And this goes for whatever pantheon you're utilizing, whether it is one from our real world or whether it's one that you make up whole cloth or whether it's one that's supplied by whatever source book you're using. These may not be living faiths or actual religions to us as the players, but to your character and to the NPCs in the worlds you are creating this is a massive and major part of their lives, and it doesn't mm. necessarily have to be a major part of their campaigns or their adventures. But if you have a character with faith, that faith, at least at some level, must influence their actions. Right, exactly. How about it's important. you? Final thoughts? Well, <clears throat> final thoughts... 
just picking back, just piggybacking on what you said is that mythology, religion, utilizing cultural stories that we're all kind of familiar with that it kind of exists within our zeitgeist can be a bonding agent for a player experience. However, because we've been so immersed with reinterpretation upon reinterpretation of those stories, you should hesitate before you rely too heavily on the common tropes around it because it can get boring if they've seen it all before. If you don't have some fresh way to come to the table with interpretation on these stories of, of ancient mythologies, then there, it might be better to try something entirely different. When I mean entirely different, I don't mean completely abandon the idea of mythology. I mean dig deeper. There are lesser deities. There are folkloric monsters like the things that, that Jess used in his game that you used, of course. Um, there are other elements of mythology that are sort of passed over for the low-hanging fruit of grabbing kind of the, the struggles of gods. There is a lot within the historical and cultural context of everything that humans have done since time since time was being recorded and stories were being passed along that you can bring into your story that puts a fresh new take on an old tale that your players might not know about and it might draw them to learn more about it so i'm not saying don't i'm saying think before you dip into that you know what I love about our different final thoughts here? What's up? You came at it purely from the storyteller standpoint, where it's like, tell different stories. Don't be afraid of the smaller stories. And I came at it purely from the character standpoint of like, remember what religion and mythology means to your character. And I feel like that sums up our dynamic very beautifully. Yeah, I, that's, uh, yeah, you know what? That works out really well. Well well pointed out, buddy. I just like to get a little meta occasionally, especially before I get really meta and tell the listeners how exactly they can contact us. Our mythology, so to say. If you want to contribute to the pantheon that is dodecahedron, mm -hmm. there are several ways you can do that. Colin, what's our email address? Dodecapodcast at gmail.com. Did I get it right? You did. It oh, is dodecapodcast.gmail.com. So I knew that what you were saying would eventually imprint on my brain. It's dodecapodcast at gmail.com. D O D E C A. Podcast spelled like the word P O D C A S T at gmail.com. Hey, what's our Instagram? Is that also dodecapodcast or dodeca? It is. Yes. Okay. I know the Twitter one was weird. Yeah. So what's our Facebook? Dodecahedron, isn't it? Nope. Isn't, it's nope. not. It's Dodecapodcast Still now. just Dodecapodcast. Well, I am behind you the were, times. You were two for three. I was two for three. three. I'll take it. Uh, but yes, we are on Instagram, Facebook. Uh, we're on Tumblr now. And we are? Also, yeah, we are on Tumblr. Tumblr.com slash Dodecapodcast, I think is how you get there. Uh, we Whew. definitely have a blog. All right. That'll be interesting. We should do some cool stuff with that. And as always, we're on Twitter at podcast dodeca because <laughs> that's the <laughs> weird one. But yeah, right. if you have any comments about what we just talked about, if you want to suggest a topic for us, if you have a question that you would like us to answer, please send those in to any of our various spots. I constantly check them. 
Or if you have any stories about how you have utilized mythology within your stories or games, I'd be absolutely, and I know Jess would be as well, fascinated to hear what you've come up with. Most definitely. Do not hesitate to tell us everything. And from all of us here at Dodecahedron, Dodeca Podcast, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to listen to our episode, and we look forward to seeing you on our next adventure. Bye.